Okay, so if you turn uh, in your Bibles to Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We're doing a, a two-week mini-series called The Call to Discipleship, and then after this two-week mini-series, we're going to be going into Genesis and be in a, a nine-week series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Uh, but this sermon series was partly inspired through uh, a reading a book called The Cost of Discipleship by a man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a Lutheran pastor uh, during the, the beginning and, and uh, throughout World War II ended up dying in a concentration camp um, because of his stand against Hitler. And, and to read that book and for him to speak so realistically about what it means to be a disciple of Christ and then to, to watch that get played out in his life is, was very powerful for me and it excited me a lot and I, and I hope it does the same for you. And as I prepared for this Sunday morning, I, something that kept going through my mind was, isn't it interesting that... In Matthew, in the end of it, where, where Jesus gives us what they call the Great Commission, and what, he, what does he say? He says, go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He does not say, go make Christians. It's really, well, and the, the term wasn't even used yet, but he's saying, go make disciples. I think I think it's, there's some richness in that word that we miss sometimes, um, and, and Bonhoeffer would call that this idea of, of costly grace versus cheap grace. I think oftentimes when we think of being Christians, we think of it as being something that requires nothing of us, but discipleship is a word that requires much from us, and then we value Christ so much. So pray with me, and then we'll read this, and we'll, we'll jump into to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Oh God, I pray that you will, you will ignite this sermon on fire by your spirit, God, that, that we will get a truer sense than we've had before of what it means to follow you. Uh, maybe for some of us, it would be opening us up for the first time that Jesus is worth it all. Um, I pray that for those who, who have made that decision and said, he is my Lord and my Savior, that this will just reignite their passion again for you. God, you are worthy of all praise. I praise in Jesus' name, amen. So the importance of being a disciple, what it actually means to be a disciple is to be, literally it means to be a learner, um, which is, I think is a curious because oftentimes Christians are known as being the know-it-alls, right? Whereas a disciple, we're meant to be known as the learner, right? We come eager to submit to the teaching of Jesus and follow him wherever he goes. The, the, the idea of a disciple, um, when it was used in this time as, as people became disciples of Jesus, was not a new idea. John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. People would go and they would, they would submit themselves to someone else who they thought being wiser than they 
and, and they would take, they would, it says they would accept the complete views of that teacher and they would adhere to the practices of their life. Right? So they would accept completely the view of that person who they became a disciple to and they would, they would follow, they would mimic, they would imitate that person's life. So think about this in regards to Jesus. Right, so as we're called to be disciples of Jesus, we're called to trust his teaching, to accept him completely, thank you, and to, to completely follow his pattern of living. <clears throat> so what this means for us is that being a disciple, being a true disciple, is what it means to be a true Christian. Right? They're synonymous terms. So it in, in Matthew 4, as we read this, and it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. So what this means here for us is that the disciple is someone who responds to Jesus' call, come follow me, and then the product of their life is becoming fishers of men. So the setting for this, first, the setting of this, because oftentimes you can read this and be like, what is it? so they were just like these, ra- these random, somebody just walked by and he was like, come, and they're like, okay, that sounds better than fishing. <laughs> but there's a, there's a huge setting to this. Part of the setting is that, that these disciples who became disciples of Jesus already were disciples of John the Baptist. Most of them already were following him. And, and in following John the Baptist, they had seen John the Baptist speak about one who would come who he was unworthy to untie his sandals, right? They'd heard him talk about a savior, a Messiah, who would come and save the world. And then they saw Jesus enter the picture. And when Jesus entered the picture, the one who they became a disciple of, John the Baptist, said, he said, behold, look. He goes, this is, this is the, the Son of God who's comes, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And so there's this context already for them who when they see Jesus, they have identified him as the one who their teacher said would save the world. And part of why this is important is because they're making an educated decision. It's not this reckless, well, I'm just going to follow this guy because it's a better option, right? Better than fishing. But it's literally a choice they're making going, he is worthy. He is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And I think in the response to that, they're willing to to come to follow Jesus. So what they saw in Jesus was someone worth worth giving everything for. And I hope by the time we, we end this, we'll be able to kind of work through that and process, is Jesus someone who we find worth, worth giving our, our whole lives for? So we're going to take each, each of these words, we're just going to take the first three words, and then next week we'll take the fishers of men part. But this week we're just going to look at come follow me. And what that means, come follow me. So there's going to be three points here, and I want, I want you to follow them closely. 
The first is come, and literally what this is, is what we're going to call the displacement of the disciple. The second is follow, which is the path of the disciple, and the third is me, which is the the center or the focus of what it means to be a disciple. So come, the displacement of a disciple. What does it mean to respond to Jesus' call to come? And I think this this is revolutionary as I started looking at this and studying this. It's such a small word, come. But literally, what Jesus is asking for us is to move from the place that we are to the place that he is. Right? To, to be displaced. Oftentimes when we talk about displacement, we talk about like a refugee, right? Who in their country, their country's been under turmoil and they, they maybe are sent forcefully or maybe even voluntarily go to a place other than where they have been, right? They're displaced. And the disciple is someone who's come to the point of decision to where they have been and where Jesus is calling them and they decide, I will go to where Jesus is. I will no longer remain where I am. We cannot both stay where we have been when Jesus calls us and partake in all he's offering us. That's that's the key to the call to come, is we cannot stay where we have been and what we've been participating in and what we've believed and what we've owned and participate in what Jesus is calling us to. There's a mandatory displacement of the disciple. And you see this comparison in, two weeks ago we looked at the rich young, rich young man, the story in, um, in the Bible where a young man comes to Jesus and he's very wealthy and he says, he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's like, that sounds great, right? Living forever. This sounds wonderful. So what must I do to, to receive that? And, and Jesus gives him an, an answer that, that the guy feels like he's pretty confident he can do. Jesus says, well, have you obeyed the commandments? And the young man says, yes, right, I've obeyed all of them, but I still feel this lack. I don't feel eternity in my heart, right? There's, there, I, there has to be something more than this. And Jesus says, you're right. There is. He says what? He says, give up everything you own and come follow me. Does that sound familiar? Right? Come be a disciple. Come follow me. And it says, but the man went away sad because why? Because he was very wealthy. He wanted to remain where he was and what he was doing and what he valued and what he loved, but he wanted all the benefit of, of what Jesus had to offer. Right? He wanted to maintain his riches, his status, everything. He wanted to still govern his own life and do whatever he wanted, but he wanted to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. And, and compare this with Abraham. Right? This beautiful story of Abraham who was called by God. If you want to turn to Hebrews 11, you can see this call in, in verse 8. This happens in the Old Testament, recorded in Hebrews eleven eight. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
He left everything familiar. In verse 9, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And why? Before he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He went to a place that he did not know. He was called by God and he responded. He knew that he was going to respond to the call of God to go to receive the promised land. He had to leave all that was familiar to him and go. And that's that, that ultimate act, that statement of faith that we make saying, God, I will leave maybe what's familiar and what I cherish and what I hold on to. This is the decision. And think of it this way. If you are going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple, there has to be a dilemma. There has to be a dilemma in your life. A dilemma of going, is it worth it? Because everything you've considered most worth it will be challenged when you come to him. As he says, come. And this is a strange thing in the Bible, especially when Jesus does not make it easy. He says, in Luke 9, he says, if anyone come after me, if you come You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. This is what coming looks like if you are going to be a disciple. And and I I say this, and it has to be clear, because, because this is the beginning because maybe some of you, maybe me at times, or, or maybe even right now, are going, okay, I hear that call, and that's nice theology, but it's not worth it to me. Right? It's not worth it to me. And in the book of Luke 14, there's a story, and the story is this. It says there was a great king, and he wanted to have a banquet. And who likes banquets? Are you guys fans? I'm a fan um, of banqueting. And so this king made a beautiful banquet. And, and so he says, I'm going to go invite people to this banquet. I want everyone to share. It's good. You can't imagine how good it is. It's a king, a rich king who's just going to throw a banquet. Right? It's not like a buffet that they put weird stuff in it to make you full too quickly. He's like, you can gorge yourself forever. This is just good. Right? It's all, you know, free-range cattle. Um, and so he, he makes this banquet and he sends out, out people to invite. He sends out his servants and he goes, I want you guys to participate. This is better than anything you can imagine. And he sends people out. And there's three responses that it gives in, in Luke chapter 14. These are the three responses. The first man says this. He goes, I just bought five oxen, five um, um, five whatever they call them, you know, pairs of oxen. And and so I need to break them in first. Right? The second person, he says, I just bought this large parcel of land. And I need to, I need to make sure that it's, it's cared for before I come to the banquet. And the third person says, well, I've just got married. 
And I was reading this in, in 07, the summer of 07, and, and I was going through this, this interesting piece in my life where I read this, and I just started crying, and I went, those are my dilemmas, right? When God says, come to the banquet, and I go, what do I want? Well, five oxen, right? What do I, my hobbies, or what do I play with, or all these things? What do you buy, right? Your, your quads, or your rock climbing gear, whatever it is, right? Like, <laughs> what is keeping us from the banquet? Are your hobbies keeping us from the banquet? Right, the second thing, this land, did I just want to settle down by my house, right? Is that something that's keeping me from the banquet? Marriage, is that the desire of my heart? Am I not willing to leave that so I can go to the banquet? Right, these are our dilemmas. Unless you come to this dilemma, you don't understand the worth of, of the banquet that Jesus is inviting you to when he, he says, Come. Right? There comes a dilemma in our lives, and we have to decide, is Jesus worth it or not? And these men don't come to the banquet. And what does he say? The king says, well, go out into the highways and byways and invite others, which is super hopeful for us because Jesus is still saying, come. Right? He's still saying, the way is open, come. The value, the banquet is still there. And so when you come to the dilemma of staying where you are or coming, what will your decision be? The second is follow. What does it mean to be a disciple? First, come, respond to that. It's more valuable. The second is follow, which literally means to walk behind. Isn't that interesting? God isn't asking you to be the one who leads He's asking you to come and to follow, and your decision is to follow. Your decision isn't the path to walk on. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so your decision, as I will walk behind you, I'm not going to choose the path. Right? So when you give all to go, he gets to choose where you go. But to do this, we must be certain of the leadership that Jesus gives. And so this isn't just a strange kamikaze mission where we're just going, well, whatever, I'm just going to do it. But, but God is offering himself in the Bible saying, look, I'm trustworthy, I'm faithful, I'm true. But can we let go of our death grip on life? Uh, when, I was, when I was thinking of this, how, I don't know if you are this person or you just hate having this person with you when you drive, but the backseat driver, right, who's just like constantly, no one's experienced that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, but watch out for that. Yeah, brake lights. <laughs> what is going on here, right? He's driving, Right? And that's, <laughs> are we, do we trust the leadership of Jesus? Are we walking behind him? <laughs> Where he says, when we, do we, can we confidently say, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, you illumine the way before me. And I trust where you're, where you're taking us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, he says, the only person who has the right to say he is justified by grace or saved is the person who has left all to follow Jesus, right? Who's going, you choose the path, right? Only then will we understand that he is taking us to a place that's more wonderful than we can ask or imagine, right? When we stop deciding where we're going, but we say, God, I trust you, and you're going to take me to better places. 
we suffer today, I believe, as Christians because we don't follow. Right? We're ask, we ask people to be Christians without realizing that, that they're being called to follow, not just to, to take on a title, right? We gotta come. We gotta come realizing we're following Jesus and what that means. We're walking in his footsteps. Footsteps. Oftentimes, Christianity is too often defined as, as escaping from hell or a ticket to a pleasant eternity or just merely being embraced by a loving God. And these things are the outcome of a following behind and realizing he is worthy. Right? What it means to be a Christian is to walk in his footsteps. And that's what it means to follow. So come, leave, leave where you have been, come to where he's calling you and walk, walk behind him. And it's a beautiful imitation. And Jesus kind of sets this up in the whole New Testament as he walks. And he's constantly doing things like loving people and going, just as I do, you can come do too, right? And he's, he's guiding us and letting us imitate him. And these things appear and they are wildly impossible for us. <laughs> right? But we gain the strength to do it when we come to the last word. Me. All right, come follow me. And it, it centers us. I don't know when your last experience was on a merry-go-round, but I love this example of... Um, of a merry-go-round. And if, if you've been on one recently, um, it gets harder when you're an adult. Your equilibrium isn't that good. And, <laughs> right? and if you're at the center, you're good. Right? Because it's just spinning, you're like, this is fine. But if you start working your way out towards the outer edges, it becomes very challenging to hold on. I don't know if you, do you remember that? I'm sure you've all, like, whose first experience getting the wind knocked out of them was on merry-go-round? Definitely mine, right? And you get thrown off, and, and it's your casualty of the merry-go-round. Literally, what, what you're experience, experiencing is, is, is centrifugal force. It's a big word. But you know what that word centrifugal means? Well, I found out it's not spelled with a, a C. It's not centrifugal. It's centrifugal. Um, I learned that this weekend. Um, what, you, what, what that means is to flee the center, right? Center, centri, center, figol, right? <laughs> flee, <laughs> Latin. Um, so it's sort of flee the center, and that's what we're ex we experience. This is so cool, because in the, the merry-go-round, as you're in the center, right, the, you're not fleeing it, you're just abiding, right? Does that sound like John? Where Jesus says, abide in me, dwell in me, and you will bear much fruit. That's the place of productivity in the kingdom, is being found in him. But, but as we move to those outer edges and distance ourselves from him, from coming to him, as we distance ourselves from him, flee the center, we feel like we're gripping on for dear life, but yet meaning moved further out. Right? And, and I, I love, it. to use another example, 
Right? And this is wonderful. In, in Psalm 19, it talks about the heavens declaring. And I think, I think there's this beautiful declaration going on in the heavens. Is the earth itself loops around the sun. Consider this. The earth is located about 92 million miles away from the sun. It, it's kind of an ovular loop around the sun. So sometimes it's closer, sometimes it's farther away. And it's at this perfect spot, right, where if it was closer, we would perish. And if it was further away, we'd perish, right? It's at this incredible spot, hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour, producing 24-hour days, 365.25 days in a year. At this incredible place... Within a larger galaxy, which is but one out of hundreds of billions of other galaxies, perfect for life. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's centered. It's, it's right where it should be for life. And, and the life of a Christian is found in coming and following Jesus coming and being near him, being in proximity to him. And, and, and this me is not merely a general me. He, he comes and he calls us personally. At the end of John, there's a beautiful example of this. As, as you have perhaps the most destitute of all the disciples, because he was the one who denied Jesus three times. And, and if there was Mercy for anyone, surely there wasn't mercy for him because he had been the one to say, I never knew him, right? And so Jesus comes at the end and he has this exchange with him and he says, no, no, you can still follow me. In verse 19, he says this to Peter, but then Peter turns in 20, in chapter 21, verse 20, he says, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And in 21, he says, and when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, but what about him? You said, me follow you, but what about him? And Jesus says in verse 22, he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Isn't that good? So oftentimes we're like, well, I know this is what following looks like for me, but what about him? And Jesus is like, no, you, I'm calling you personally, come follow me. I have a great plan for you, but you need to come. You, you need not to go, but what about that person? They have a long ways to come. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, you, where you're at, you need to come, right? And where you are, you need to follow me. It's not constantly, we, we are so good at looking at the other person and going, they're not following too well, right? And Jesus is going, no, you, you follow me. It's a very personal call to us because he has a very personal plan, <laughs> Right? There are this general plan of, I'm going to make you, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make you fishers of men and you're going to go out and make disciples. But the way we do that is very personalized as we come and we follow and we discover really what our true gifts are and how to use those in the kingdom. Right? So come and it's a, it's a very personal call. And as he centers us, this is what we learn is that Jesus, yes, calls for everything calls us to leave everything and come to him, but he gives everything. (laughs) 
And Abraham learned this, who left his home to go to the promised land, who again later was tested by, by God saying, give up Isaac, the one you love. And yet he received Isaac back. Because in Hebrews 11 it says, God could even, he believed God could even raise the dead just because he was following, because he trusted who God was. And, and in this, Bonhoeffer says, the discipleship, that discipleship means joy. And it means joy because we're no longer self-centered. We're no longer self-reliant. We no longer think that we ourselves can produce what God is calling us to do. But he asks us to follow and that he will produce in us and through us all the great things he's calling us to be a part of and do. But we must, we must come and follow. So, so the question to end us is, are you a disciple? Have you come? Have you been displaced? Have you followed or are you leading your own life? And is Jesus the center of your life? Have you come to the point of, of saying, yes, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy. And unless we come to that point, we are not a disciple. Right? And, and that's not, it's not like a, a mean thing to say. It's just saying it's, it's, it's real. Like, we don't want to be the people going, yeah, I've signed up, and yet we're like, but all these things, I, my land, my marriage, whatever it is, all these things are way, way, way more important to me. Jesus just isn't worth it. Right? And I challenge you, if you think Jesus isn't worth it, earnestly seek and ask that. Right? It's no use in your life pretending like he is, but really saying he's not. Right? The call Jesus is giving to you isn't one of blind faith. He's asking you to say, come and see who I am and I'm worth it, that I alone can satisfy. Because if you try to play this middle ground of going, I'm going to keep all that I have been, all I've owned, all that, I'm going to keep what I've loved before and I'm going to follow Jesus, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work and we'll live in this bitter dissatisfaction of going, but Jesus, you said, and he goes, I said yes if you came and followed me. <laughs> but we can't remain on the outside. And the call remains open. One of the last verses in the whole Bible, in the book of Revelation, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of water of life. And so the, the call remains open to come. And I encourage you, if, if you haven't, to come. So the offer remains open. As we, as we go into time of worship, uh, we're taking communion, and, and communion is for those who have come. And if you haven't come, I encourage you just to observe and say, man, is that worth it? Is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world worth it? And if you have not made that decision, you'd like to come. Amen. Let's pray. God, your, your call to come just uh, speaks throughout history. It doesn't stop. It's a great banquet you invite us to. God, I pray that this, this church, us, us who've come here, um, will long for that banquet. We'll see it as incomparably worth it. It'll motivate us from day to day. Um,
We'll think about it. God, I pray for just the space and the opportunity for us to look at our, our hearts again and just say, have I come? Was that a was that a response I gave a long time ago, but then I've gradually been picking up again the things that I left? God, when there's compromise in our lives, we, we can't see straight. And I, I pray that even our time of worship now will just be letting go of that compromise and just, again, affirming you as Lord and Savior. Worth it all. Because you indeed are. Praise things in Jesus' name, amen.